love to eat turkey. <laughs> love to eat turkey. <laughs> love to eat turkey, cause it's good. Love to eat the turkey like a good boy should. Cause it's turkey to eat so good. <laughs> a turkey for me. Turkey for you. Let's eat turkey in a big brown shoe. Love to eat the turkey at the table. I once saw a movie with Betty Grable. Eat that turkey all night long. 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. Turkey, turkey, D. Turkey, turkey, dap. I eat the turkey and I take a nap. Thanksgiving is a special night. Jimmy Walker used to say dynamite. That's right. Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast out there that recognizes Canadian Thanksgiving. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. What the hell am I doing here? I'm Mike Bloom. I have the same question. I'm Paul Ossison, hashtag blindside. Like the 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 bat signal for Samoa hasn't gone up yet, has it? Like what what am I doing on a podcast? The rust signal is nowhere in the sky, Jay. You're completely correct. We've been I don't know called out from the podcast dugout. I thought we'd go into our, like our requisite three month hibernation between seasons, but that appears the holiday spirit is amongst us. Yes, this is a special episode that all of us, all of us, Jay, wanted to put together for our beloved listeners, where. We don't. We don't. We you know. You guys tend to wait for our podcast. They go months. Mar- between. Mario, Mar- wait, wait, Mario. Can you can you not let people in on the process and say that we all like get along and you know plan these things? Blah blah. Can we all like let everyone have the illusion that like you tell us to do things and then I complain and then you know Paul's in Montana. So you know you know things happen. <laughs> all right. And then I have to wait for my uh, you know the carrier pigeon to uh, reach Montana before I know uh, when we're podcasting. That's what you guys carve up, right? Instead of turkey, the carrier pigeon that carries the messages. Yeah, I get a lot of meat out of that. Of I don't know. Pigeon. I don't know. I feel like that Thanksgiving might be the one holiday where like Montana may have the advantage because like we're all having turkey and stuffing, and like they're probably like carving bison or something, you know, just out of like a rock face or something. Who knows? <laughs> You know, we've buried the lead here. People have no idea what the show is about. I haven't even got a chance to introduce it yet. Hey, go right. for it, Mario. Do here it. Here we go. So I demanded my three flunkies here. I said, we're going to put together a Thanksgiving show for our fans that they aren't expecting it. It'll be a nice little surprise. It'll drop right on Thursday. And as you're uh, relaxing from your meal and digesting, you will have a nice hour to hour and a half episode of Historians that you weren't expecting to listen to. So this is our gift to you, the uh, beloved Survivor Historians listeners. This is our Thanksgiving episode. And nothing better to go with Thanksgiving than unexpected surprises. Yes. So what I thought we'd do is I w- we'll do things a little different. We're not going to talk about a specific season. We're not going to talk about a specific player. We're not going to talk about a specific state. I won't mention anyone, Paul. But uh, we're just going to go around and we're just going to talk about – I said let's just pick five things that we're thankful for in the Survivor world, something that throughout Survivor history we, we are just happy to know that it exists. It's out there. People can watch it. And so this is just what are five things each of us are thankful for in the Survivor world. You guys have any smart-ass comments about that? No, I'm excited to jump into this. You you know, we all made our list, so we kind of know general topics of what we're going to jump into, but haven't really thought about these at all. I've just kind of written down where, 
you know, where my mind was when you asked us to make this list. So I'm really excited to hear what you all wrote down and excited to uh, hear what I end up saying about my five things. And I, and I like also this is the historian's version of like what you make kids do at their like second and third Thanksgiving <laughs> day attendance. Let's go around the table and say what we're thankful for. So I'm happy to do the survivor version of it as well. I do feel like we sort of get uh, saddled with this reputation of like, just having negative opinions that is not what it used to be. But I feel like generally we're actually much more positive than that overall. And I feel like this is be, this will be a good way to sort of represent that mentality. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to try in, in, in the past, we kind of do a snarky uh, show where we make fun of each other. We swear a lot and stuff. So we're going to try not to do this. We'll be a little more loving, a little more friendly. We will try not to bag on each other. So it'll just be a little different side of the historians because all of us are happy to be here and we want to do this. And Jay Fisher is here too. That is true. And, and, right. and can, can I make a suggestion really quick, totally off topic? Cause this is Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving, you know, themed and related and stuff like that. I do have a complaint about that because every once in a while I get together at a family gathering and there's like 85 family members and, you know, then then they do that thing where they're like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we eat, let's all go around and say what we're thankful for, which is which is a cool sentiment. And I have zero issues with that. But literally, like, you know, you're about 50th in line and like the 49 people in front of you have said some version of I'm thankful for family. And mm-hmm. it's like at that point, you're just like, thank God for the Houston Astros or something like that. And it's like. Then they look at you like you're just some sort of pond scum, and I'm sitting there going, like, can we all just say family and go eat the dinner? And you're, like, really hungry, and then it gets to person 48, and they're like, oh, oh, um, I, I guess it's me. Um, oh, you're like, are you serious? You had 47 times to think about what you're going to say, and, like, now you're on the spot. Maybe we should come up with a system where, like, you can, like, go in on wishes with people. Like, hey, you you, you're, you think family, too, right? Like, let's let's all group together and say, like, okay, this is representative of, like, three people to sort of, like, speed the process along. <laughs> yeah, yeah we just, like, yeah, we'll put, like, a, like a whiteboard or something. You can just, like, <laughs> tick it off, you know, and then just go get your stuffing and your turkey and... And the probes is there at the start saying there's no sharing wishes. There'll be no sharing money, anything here. Come up with your own ideas. Okay. All right. Let's do this. All right. So we're all here. Okay. So again, for Survivor Historians listeners, since this is a Thanksgiving tradition, sit down your family, make them listen to this episode until it's done, and then they can eat. So that's our gift to you. All right. Really quickly, and I don't want to prolong this podcast anymore, but I do have to ask, what's your favorite Thanksgiving side? Oh, it's got to be... Uh, so I go to my in-laws. Uh, it's been like a tradition for the past few years to go for me to go to their place for Thanksgiving. And a few years ago, they made bacon-wrapped asparagus, which is just like all the my food loves combined in one bountiful mashup. So that would probably be my pick. If it's not bison, I'm all about the potatoes. <laughs> uh, a certain type of potatoes, a certain way, or just potatoes like just you know i'm just table. like uh you know i'm just like stephanie uh what's her face flavor from uh, cook islands i just want to have some fun with some mashed potatoes and gravy it don't matter <laughs> paul's the blackest man in montana <laughs> yes jay what's your favorite side um i you know to tell you the truth, oh, you're, I, you're totally pulling this person forty-seven bullshit of like, oh, it's me. I didn't even think it <laughs> oh, would be on the me. <laughs> well, no. It, oh, it, wait, it, me? Oh, 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 I didn't even think about this. I'm, uh. I'm one of those people that like takes everything and just puts it uh, like almost like if I could just put it all on a sandwich and just eat it all in one bite, it would be the thing. But to tell you the truth, when I when I look at a spread, I know this is like this this really displays the low classness that is me. 
But God, a really well placed green bean casserole cannot can cannot go wrong. Are you one of those people who's like, I'll take the leftovers and just like put it between two pieces of bread and eat it the next day? Absolutely. Yep. I'm about fitness. Fitness all in my mouth. That's right. All right. I will I will say my absolute favorite side of any Thanksgiving. This is kind of cheating, but it does fit in with my uh, image as a fat guy. I like gravy. You put gravy on anything and it's good. So I'm very much like Jay and that I will take anything that's a leftover. Anything that's on that table on Thanksgiving, you put gravy on it and it's fantastic. And then it's gravy. That's right. All right. So with that, I believe we shall begin. This is the Survivor Historian's Five Things About Survivor History that we are thankful for. And I will start with the man who I'm no longer allowed to call the temp, the perm, Mike Bloom. What's the first thing you're thankful for about survivor history? Yes, I have the curls to prove it that I uh, am the perm now. So the first thing that I'm thankful for for survivor, it sounds a little strange, but I am thankful for genuine moments of people grappling with the emotional elements of the game. It sounds a little weird, but I'll, I'll try to uh, elaborate on that. You know, my, my, uh, survivor journalism career is very nascent at this point. Uh, I'm only done like a uh, half a season so far of interviews, but I've discovered that one of the things that I really like asking people when they're coming out of the game is just basically, what were you thinking? You know, not, not necessarily what were you thinking in terms of like, what were you thinking when you made this move or when you played this idol, but more so like, how do you compartmentalize these feelings that you are stranded on a beach with people you need to make immediate bonds with them, people you've never met in your life before. But then summarily, you need to say, okay, person who I am clinging to for life because you're the only like person who is allowing me to survive in this inhospitable climate, I'm going to vote you out as well. I'm going to betray you. I'm going to stab you in the back. And hopefully at the end of the game, you're going to vote for me to give me the million dollars. And people handle that element to varying degrees. And admittedly, some of these moments are not necessarily the brightest moments in Survivor. I think someone said that they're actually affiliated with pretty dark, almost cringeworthy moments, but they've always been endlessly fascinating to me, and it's something that I've sort of realized as of late, especially getting to talk to players as they come out of the game, really trying to get into their head as to how tough is it to, you know, play the game, and especially to sort of separate the emotions of the game from the gameplay itself. And I'll make two examples here. One very old school and one actually very new school. Uh, the old school one, we talked about it a lot. Essentially, Ian's entire endgame in Survivor Palau is, again, uh, not very happy stuff to talk about, but it's so interesting to me to watch somebody who had built such a close connection with people that like Katie and Tom that when it came down to the necessity of having to get rid of them in order to further himself in the game, he had such a moral dilemma with having to do that to the point of where this image is stuck in my head of him on his knees on the beach begging Katie, take me back. I promise I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings when I took Tom in that re- to the, on that reward. It was unsettling to see someone mentally unwind that much, especially when he really had a chance to win the game. But it really just represents how much of an emotional toll Survivor can take. The other example that I'll use is, is a little unorthodox, but in uh, Survivor Game Changers... And I think it was the seventh episode. That was the Zeke Barner episode. So there was a lot of stuff going on, but there was a really cool scene from my point of view where you have this one tribe sitting at camp and just sort of talking about what the ramifications are of not only playing Survivor, but coming back again to do it, which is something that has sort of been whispered among alumni of the show, but had never been really talked about on the show before. And so I really want to give Survivor credit in that moment for really acknowledging that it's such a mental strain to not only play this game, but then pack yourself back up, ready yourself again to undertake this all again. So I know that's a lot, 
But that's one of the things that I'm really thankful for. Even after all these years, Survivor is still able to show some of those moments where you can't really use the mentality of, quote-unquote, it's just a game. Because to sort of quote Lex from his All-Stars jury speech, in that realm, game sort of represents life in that regard. All right. Very well done. Paul, we'll move on to you over at the kids' table. What are you thankful for on this Thanksgiving well, in Survivor is, history? Mine is definitely going to go as deep as Mike's first one did. And um, I'm thankful for old women falling on Survivor, like not in a totally deadly way, but like in a funny way. Like I'm thankful that I can laugh at old women falling on Survivor and that no one has been seriously hurt. I mean, we do know that there was like the Courtney Moon tumble, but like she wasn't old, so she doesn't count. Um, so I am very thankful for that. I think that's something that everyone knew would come up with me. So I'm going to get that one out of the way right away. And I want to give a big thankful shout out to uh, Sonia Christopher and Kim Johnson, the two original geriatric tumblers. Um, and I, this podcast is really, you guys are the ones who really, you know, brought to light the fact of how much I, uh, I like these uh, old women falling down. I think Diane Ogden, too, is a big part of that, too. Like, Africa's a big falling season. So I'm very thankful that every time um, an old person falls in Survivor that my name is immediately brought into the conversation. So thank you, ladies. I like how you say tumbling like it implies some sort of, like, gymnastics team of older women just failing miserably at any sort of floor routine. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. This is off to a good start so far. We have Mike's very heartfelt message about players and depth and feelings and emotion and Paul with old people being injured. And what do you want out of the, you know, the a historian's podcaster who's not Mario or Jay? Do you want that? Do you want Mike's in-depth analysis or do you want me laughing at old people? So listeners, let me know. <laughs> How do you follow a sadist? Jay, that's going to be interesting. One like equals one prayer. Um, <laughs> uh, my number five would be, and I'm going all the way back to Survivor 1, Survivor, or later known as Survivor Aborneo. Um, I would say that I'm thankful for Richard Hatch stepping down off the pole in that final three challenge. Because I think that it's one of the biggest moments of Survivor. And I think it, I think that that moment really showed everybody. And we've talked about it probably maybe in this in this uh, series, but who knows? Um, I think that that really is more than anything else. It shows the depth of the game. You know, the first season, you know, gets a bad rap in a lot of ways. And a lot of people rewatch it and think it's pretty boring or it's not quite their speed. But it's like it's the first one and people are trying to figure it out. And yes, the first sort of voting block or alliance was kind of formed. And, you know, that's sort of the way the game goes. And I get that sort of fact. But I think when people talk about like what what was really the defining moment of season one? They think of like Sue's snakes and rats speech or the fact that there was this Tagi Alliance or, you know, Dr. Sean and the alphabet. And I mean, those are all great and wonderful, but I think the fact of Richard knowing that his best path to victory is the fact that someone had to take him to the final, final two versus him winning the challenge and going. And he, I'm not saying he would have won that hands on the pole, uh, challenge anyway but just the fact that he had the forethought to think through that and realize that his best gamble was to step down i think shows it just sort of sort of showed that the depth that survivor the game could have nope that's a fantastic answer yeah that's one of those moments that 
routinely will come up on the like most underrated survivor moment of all time or the most pivotal moment in survivor history that people don't really talk about like that that's a legitimately game-changing scene right there that completely changes the way people watch this show all right i will go for my first one this is something people always ask me what my favorite episode is what my you know you've watched every episode you guys talk about them you guys love survivor history what's your favorite episode and i always say it's not so much one episode as it is a string of episodes. And I know I talked about this when we did Marquesas, but episodes three through, I believe, eight in Marquesas is my all-time favorite stretch of episodes. And that's the one starting, I always say it starts with the Hunter boot and it ends with the John Carroll boot. And to me, there has never been a stronger stretch of episodes, uh, storytelling, momentum, foreshadowing. I mean, just watch those again. And again, it starts with Hunter being voted off, which is at the time just this unprecedented moment that an alpha male goes that early in Survivor. Are you kidding? Who are these idiots that are voting off Hunter? And you see Rob Mariano over there and Sean just laughing. Like, who are these morons? And then you have the 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 twist comes up there. And then you have the the Mata Amus that are just completely hapless. It's just Pascal and the three women. And all of a sudden they start winning challenges. And it's like the greatest comeback in Survivor history against Rotu, who's never lost anything. And then in there, you got the downfall of Gabriel, and they set that up that, yeah, the Rotus are going to pay because they voted out Gabriel, and Pascal and Nelia are going to get revenge on them. They're going to be upset about that. And you got the false fall of the Rotu 4, the first episode after the merge where Boston Robs goes, and then the real fall of the Rotu 4 right after that. And again, for that point in history where nothing that interesting had ever happened on Survivor, I mean, you had things... Again, follow the first alpha male. You had the big comeback with the Mataamus. You had the false fall of the road to four, and then the actual fall. And again, no alliance and power had ever fallen after the merge and survivor before. And that's just a just solid stretch of six straight episodes that I could not be more thankful for. Because again, if there's any point when people say, what's the best survivor ever was, I'm like, watch that string of episodes right there. And I don't know if you could ever top that. I know one person is quite livid at the fact that you did not include her boot episode in that string, considering it is one episode after your cutoff, Mario. I'm sorry about that. I know. Zoe and Zoe. We, we left out Zoe here. Unfortunately, I hate to spoil the illusion that Zoe wasn't that important to Marquesas. I hate to say <gasps> that. Because she was a goddess. You guys, I had a um, uh, Snickers bar the other day, and I just like had this urge to deep throat it, and I thought of all of you guys. Please don't think of us when you're deep throating things at all. I mean, I know we're friends, but we're good. But yeah, so anyway, I, I, I admit that it cuts off right before the Zoe boot. But yeah, I can't really extend the stretch forever. But it's the John, the minute that fall of the road to four. And again, everyone remembers that episode as being great. But I always say that was the culmination of a huge string of episodes. That's like the payoff of all these these, these great stories. So that's if I could get one, if I could just get one message across through historians, that that's the one I always want to say. I wish people appreciated Marquesas more. All right, uh, Perm, you got number two here for you. Sure. Uh, so this one's a little more lighthearted than my deluge of emotion in my first point. Uh, quite simply, my number two favorite thing I love about Survivor is uh, when the editors are in on the jokes. And Mario, I feel like you have been beating this drum, especially with the, your version three of Funny 115. But it's also very uh, relevant in that we just finished Survivor 18, where like Coach or hate Coach, the editors knew exactly what they wanted to do with Coach, and it might have been over the top, and it might have been completely new. But, I mean, I'm always appreciative of the editors for, like, slipping in subtle little references or animal imagery or sound effects or shots or confessionals. 
you can really tell, especially when we're rewatching these seasons and really sort of holding each episode up to a microscope, just to how much fantastic works goes into creating, again, these really granular moments that really uh, help you really greatly enjoy not only the general storyline, but just general Easter egg moments going on in each episode. Mario, I don't know if you, again, this is something that you're really uh, adamant about, so I don't know if you have like any specific examples off the top of your head. Well, I just wrote one in the Funny 115 where, you know, Angie's whole storyline in, in Philippines is that she has big boobs. That's like her entire, entire story. And in the very end of the season, she's talking about in her final words, you know, I'm, I'm more than that. I'm, I'm multi-talented. And she says, she says, I'm very well-rounded. And of course, the, the editors decide to focus that shot on her thrusting her chest out towards the camera, which is one of my all-time favorite just editor jokes where the editors are making a point like, you know, she's saying she's well-rounded. Let's just use those words against her and make another boob joke about her, which is just just little stuff like that that you might only catch on a rewatch. Just little things like that. Yeah. And I, I also I have just actually just finished reading uh, the oral history of The Daily Show. And it was actually it sort of ties in nicely in that, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, like, how do you get the best sort of field interview in terms of, like, getting the point you want to cross, personifying a person in a certain perspective, and how it really does come down to editing. And really just, you know, you're essentially joke writing, or, you know, you're, you're almost uh, trying to plot things out in order for them to play out the way that you want to. Uh, it's obviously of more permanence in in The Daily Show, but I feel like it definitely carries over into Survivor of, like, what moments and shots do you pick to fit together in order to make this one-liner happen in the case of Mario, or to sort of, like, make something that will grow into something much larger uh, down the line, not to uh, bring it back to uh, Angie's uh, body. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things is when they show someone saying one thing, but they're doing completely opposite of what they're saying, and the editors love to focus on that. And it's just, it's I call it a coach moment, because Coach's entire edit is like that. But yeah, it's just, that's, Survivor's one of the richest shows for rewatches, because you won't even ha- catch half these jokes the first time you watch the season. There's so many of them in there, and they're just hilarious. And it's just, a lot of them are so subtle. But so yeah, it's one of those things that I was not as hip to as as other people might have been, I caught on for relatively late that editing was such an important thing on Survivor. But once I'd really um, attached myself to it and started pointing them out, I just came to realize that the editors are the ones that are really the stars of the show on this on this show. So yeah, it's I, re- I agree with Mike. I really appreciate what the editors bring to these episodes. I'm up, I guess. Um, so my next one is, uh, I'm actually going to try to do the Mike Bloom thing here and get a little bit more deep with this. But one of the things I put on my list that I was thankful for about Survivor is, you know, starting watching Survivor as a 10-year-old and, and I've talked about this in the show before, being really formative in my, like, my middle school years, like, I wasn't really doing much with, like, music or other content, like, Survivor was the main thing I was really focused on. And so I'm thankful for what Survivor did for me as far as starting to expose me to a world outside of Montana. And we make a lot of Montana jokes on here, and I do love Montana very much, but it is a very, like, not diverse population in Montana. And also as a kid, I I felt sheltered in a lot of ways. And I I don't want to suggest that Survivor like opened my eyes to the rest of the world, but I I think it did play a big part in, in introducing me to some real life characters and, and people from different backgrounds that I might not have been exposed to uh, in a more authentic way. I may have seen them in movies or, you know, scripted TV, but I, I think that, 
Survivor was really important in that aspect for me, as well as like showing me just different cultures and different parts of the world. I was really big into geography at the time. I was, it was like my life goal to be the geography B champion. And I went to the state geography B in sixth grade. So it was kind of around the time when Survivor was really big. And so uh, Survivor was an opportunity for me, you know, especially in those older seasons that really focused on different cultures and locations. It was a way for me to experience more of the world outside of my my tiny bubble in Montana. So I do think in a way Survivor did play a part in my eventual steps later on to, you know, to study something foreign and to live abroad and to have all these experiences. So in that aspect, I'm thankful for the world uh, that Survivor opened me up to. It's very deep. Jay, top that. Man, I, I got to tell you, when you, when you guys get sentimental, I, I just my eyes kind of glaze over a little bit and all that sort of stuff, you know. So it'll be it'll be extra hypocritical when I go sentimental later. Yes. Um, my next one is uh, I am thankful for the entirety of Survivor Pearl Islands. Mm, excellent. Um, I just I don't know. I, we've talked about it before, and we talk about everything. And to me, it's it's one of those things where it's just automatic. When someone asks me what's your favorite Survivor season, it's Pearl Islands. I know that a lot of people say that, and a lot of people don't, and that's how it goes. I mean, we lie. We also tell the truth. Everything about Pearl Islands is good. I'm sorry. The opening episode is fantastic with the with the going in the village and everything there. You know, we make fun of Rupert, and Rupert is just this weird meme. But, I mean, Rupert was just a force to be reckoned with uh, as far as just a television star back in the days. I mean, he's not a very good Survivor player, but that's not the point, right? And you had Sandra, and you had Johnny Fairplay, and I mean, when you can just call little moments in the season, like the fact that when Burton and Lil got voted back in from the Outcast tribe, and they're standing there, and Lil makes Burton hold her hand, and they're standing there with their torches and their hands held, it's just this comedically funny moment, and it's just this throwaway sort of sort of thing. The whole season's just gold from start to finish, and and I just. I just am so thankful for it because it's like if I'm ever feeling bad or feeling down, you can just pop in the old DVD of Pearl Islands and just have a fun time. Yeah, complete with the awkward uh, map overlays that they used to do when they cut between camps in those first few episodes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so good. Yeah, and I, I also will say uh, on top of that that as someone who was not part of the historians yet, I do feel like Pearl Islands was the strongest season that you guys covered in sort of like that first pre-Paul departure phase. So it's one of those things like when you have enthusiasm towards a season, towards material that you're covering, it definitely shows in that case. I mean, I mean, not to, to, to undermine what we did, but how could you do a bad podcast about Pearl Islands? <laughs> I mean, it's such an amazing season. Like, anybody could make that a good podcast, I would think. All right, I'm going to go kind of along those same lines that there's I love when Survivor gets playful. Now, that obviously won't be much of a surprise because of what I do. I write about the comedic side of Survivor. But there's one season in particular I think is especially playful. And it's one of those things I think it's kind of a shame because this is a season that tends to get shit on these days. Like a lot of people say, oh, that season didn't age well. I don't think it holds up well. But like to to me, this was a game changer season at the time because it was so much different and so much fun. And that's Survivor Amazon. And I just remember that being the most fun season. Lighthearted, playful, just goofy season. They were doing all sorts of different things in that season. They did the Mixer Reward, which is one of my favorites. They did the double confessionals where two people are talking and like one person shows up and the other person confessional. But the one thing that always jumps out at me, and again, just this is the funny 115 in me, is I remember the little thing they did in Amazon with the thought bubbles. 
where someone's talking about another player and they'll do the little cartoon thought bubble above their head and it'll show the person they're talking about doing something ridiculous or something like that. And it's just, I just love when the show would get playful like that. It's just something different. They, that was, there was nothing like that in seasons one through five and season six, they just went crazy. They're like, we'll add all sorts of things to this. And again, we get a lot of flack on the show. People will say, well, you guys just want Survivor to go back to the way it was. You guys are old and fuddy-duddy and, you know, you just – you can't accept change. But, like, I love when change makes something better. And, like, Amazon is the season. They were just throwing all sorts of new things in there. And I thought that was so much fun. And I don't get why people say that season doesn't age well or it's not fun. I, I watched that season and I laughed my ass off. It's so much fun. All those people are having such a good time. And, again, I think it all goes back to just the Amazon thought bubble, just little things like that that you can do to make your show a little more cartoony, a little funnier, a little better. And the only season I think they kind of do stuff like that, they kind of did it a little in China with the slow motion stuff and the instant replays and stuff. Like, they did some crazy things in that. So, like, we're not totally against the show can't change or add new things. I just, they have to be things that make it better. And it's one of those things, they've never done thought bubbles in any other season but Amazon, and it's just always near and dear to my heart, that season. That's everything about that season I'd love, except maybe the ending, but... We can live with that because the rest of it's so much fun. What about Gene? Gene is awesome. I I cannot. I am so happy that we had Gene for so many episodes. Stop. I just. I'm Stop. just. I will. Stuck. I will flip over this Thanksgiving turkey table <laughs> on your lap and storm out of here. Don't you dare. Okay, well, I'm just saying. This is like when the racist uncle shows up to Thanksgiving. You have to deal with him. It's like this crap spewing Gene crap. <laughs> I'm thankful that we all like Jean and no one's going to shit on her here on our five thankful things. So I'm mm-hmm. very excited mm-hmm. that we used to have mm-hmm. agreed. You just talk- wait. You just wait. <laughs> yes, I like Jean. No, Jean's kind of forgettable, whatever. But I do love those thought bubbles. And it's it breaks my heart a little when I see that Amazon people say it doesn't hold up as well. Because that's still one of my top five favorite seasons. It always will be. All right, to Mr. Bloom. Um, so I'll, I'll go sort of specific uh, as well. Not necessarily by season, but for one episode in general. I'm thankful for the Bruce Medevac episode from Survivor Exile Island. It's a weird choice, but I mean, I've always been on paper saying that that, in my opinion, that's the funniest Survivor episode ever. I remember at the time, I think starting in Survivor Vanuatu, you could buy individual episodes on iTunes the day after, and I've only bought two television episodes on iTunes in my life. One of them was the Office Season 3 premiere and the other one was that episode of Survivor, just because I knew immediately after watching it that I just it was something I wanted to watch again and again and again. Between <laughs> the the burn book challenge with Jeff Probst dissing Courtney and summarily everyone else dissing Courtney, to the the cutting between Bruce moaning in agony to Serene moaning in ecstasy, getting a massage. Uh, the the medevac scene, which should not be funny, but it's so fucking funny because it's Shane and Courtney that are with Bruce, and they're making things so much worse because Shane's naked and Courtney's trying to sing to him, and he pleads with her to stop. And then you have Shane and Courtney being the ones left to camp the next day, and he literally threatens to murder her, and she completely goes over her head. And there's minimal Terry stuff in that episode because that has sort of been beaten into the ground at that point, and all the Laminas are gone. Uh, I, I just, I, I really like that season, and I love that episode in particular. It's, it might be one of my favorite episodes of all time. So I will forever be eternally thankful for Bruce, who unfortunately, uh, his bowels uh, would probably have been more thankful uh, if they were actually able to work. What's ironic is that on this Thanksgiving, Bruce may be eating a little too much food, and he may have a similar experience. So you may get your wish again here, Mike. All right, Mr. Oslison. 
I'm back up, and I started this this thing I'm thankful for is a little more generic, and I do want to hone in on on one person in particular because it's someone I've been very thankful for lately because this person has kind of resurfaced a little bit in a lot of the online community. But I'm really thankful that Survivor has given us some of the quirkiest, funniest characters ever. There are people like the people, the people like Scout and Courtney Merritt that are just so hilarious. And they may not be the number one stars of their season, but they're just so like goofy and weird. And we have these quotes about them and maybe their delusion. I just love these side characters that we get from the show that people that really know the show you can talk about and joke about with. And the one person that I just want to bring up and be thankful for is for Gondia Johnson. I have always loved me some Gandhi Johnson. Recently, she appeared on Judge Judy, and there's a video going around of it. There's some good gifs going around of it, of her making this, rolling her eyes and kind of biting her lip, possibly into a sexy bite formation. And um, I just think that those first four episodes of Thailand are gold and Gandhi. Well, I mean, the third one is like a little bit rough, but like overall, it's like a very enjoyable experience because Gandhi is in it and she's just a quote machine. And I just, from, from Gandhi barking to her saying, you know, things about, well, that's how Clay do. And from her going down to the beach and kicking and screaming and Clay wanting to, you know, whoop her ass and put it back in bed. It's just Gandhi is so great. And I'm so sad we only had four episodes of her because she's amazing. And thank you, Survivor, for giving us characters like Gandhi Johnson. Yep. She's like the gene of Thailand. <laughs> I'm muting my mic. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our little Fisher, Jay Fisher. Oh, oh boy, a Rory reference. That was really good. Um, my next one, I am thankful for, and this goes over multiple seasons, multiple ways. I'm thankful for pretty much any challenge where people are blindfolded and there's a collar, All like right. somebody that's that's up on a platform, because they're always good. And 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 you know, sometimes a lot of times they're funny. But but sometimes they're not right. But but every time you usually have one. And, and yeah, there are duds here and there and stuff like that. But you know, there was one in Marquesas that was that was that was compelling. Um, I'm Survivor Australia. You know, you had the the they were fighting it out for Doritos and Mountain Dew. And you know, it was a it was a really sort of good challenge. You know, we're right at the end, and Colby got mad and flung the water up at Jerry. And then you had uh, Survivor All Stars with the collar, where like people got murdered by giant pieces. You know, and, and, and even not just those ones where it's like the caller is telling him to do blindfold things. Then you have Gabon, right, where like you have the people <laughs> blindfolded trying to stop the, the rolling wicket ball down the, the thing and and Randy with a fake out and stuff like that. Like it just seems like every time they do a blindfold challenge with someone trying to call out directions to someone, funny crap happens or cool crap happens or good crap happens. It's just I feel like that's a solid challenge all the way. We've got a we've got a couple of interesting ones coming up as well because I believe Samoa the challenge where Russell Swan almost dies was a blindfold challenge and then we yeah. also, and then we also get in heroes versus villains this is the one where uh, James screams so loudly that he's hoarse by the end of it just trying to scream in you know in futility at the heroes to try to move towards that maze. So basically, what Jay is saying is that if he the ultimate Survivor season for Jay Fisher would be a season with all blind contestants. Then every challenge would basically be a blindfold ch- full challenge. I think that's what you were saying. Probably. I yeah. mean, I mean, if, if I guess you can extrapolate it out to that. Yes. Thank you. Technicalities is how we roll here on historians. 
You are technically correct. The best kind of correct. <laughs> All right, I'm going on to my third one here, and I am going to give credit here to someone who I don't think it's talked enough about enough in Survivor history. And we're talking the OG, the biggest character of the first season. And some would say, oh, Richard Hatch, of course. Ah, oh, we're not talking about Richard Hatch. Richard was, he was fun. I like Richard. I appreciate it. I love Jay's when he takes his hand off the pole. It was a good strategy. It changed the game. But there's one character who was larger than life, who was more popular than even Colleen. And I have to say Rudy Bosch. Bosch. How do you pronounce his last name? Is it Bosch? Yes. Someone should know. Thank you, Paul's. Paul. That's what Paul's here for. So, yeah. So, Rudy Bosch, I have to say, added so much to the first season of Survivor and really should be better remembered than he is. And I don't think people that didn't grow up with that first season or weren't there as they watch it realize how awesome Rudy was. I mean, Rudy, this, I will give you a little backstory here. Rudy didn't really apply for Survivor. I don't think, I don't know if he ever wanted to be on TV. He just happened to know Mark Burnett. Mark Burnett uh, somehow knew him through some some channel. I don't remember. But it was basically, Rudy is the first recruit in Survivor history. He's this legendary Navy SEAL. He's probably killed hundreds of people in his life. I don't probably want to know how many people Rudy's killed. But Rudy, very the most famous of all the Navy SEALs. And uh, he had an very interesting way of wording things, perhaps. Very kind of crusty. Crusty would be the right word for him. And Burnett basically recruited him to be on his first season of the show. I need someone old. I need someone military. Rudy, perhaps, perhaps maybe a bit homophobic, maybe. One could argue that. Where Rudy shows up on the show and his number one uh, concern is, I heard there's going to be a bunch of queers here. I mean, just you have to appreciate the real, the rawness of Rudy. He's not polished at all. There's no, he's got no handlers telling him how to talk on TV. He's just some old Navy guy who's perhaps a little close-minded. And I have to point out, Rudy very easily could have gone home in the second episode and the third episode, but he somehow made it into the alliance in power. Some would say the producers manipulated it to get him in there. I don't care. I'm just happy we got Rudy. But we got Rudy for all 13 episodes. He got funnier and funnier as the season went along. And But the thing that people forget is that, yeah, Rudy was a quote machine. Rudy got his own book after the season. That's something I have to point out. There was called The Book of Rudy, just Rudy's one-liners, his observations about life, like, I don't think young people should be getting tattoos. Like, just stuff you'd, you'd expect Rudy, Rudy to be saying. <clears throat> but at the heart of Borneo, there's this fascinating story that I, one would argue that there's never been a more fascinating story on Survivor where Rudy hates gay people. He wants nothing to do with gay people. He's old school military. I don't want no queers around me. Like, it's in the book, if you read Mark Burnett's book, he even says – all Rudy cared about was identifying. He knew that he heard there was two gay people on the show. He wanted to identify who they were. That's He didn't care about winning. He didn't care about anything. He just wanted to pick out who the two. I want to find who the two queers are. Like, that's Rudy's thing. And then one of those people turned out to be Richard, who Rudy becomes best friends with. And this is the thing. Like, I don't think this could be overstated enough what a big deal this was in Survivor. Like, Rudy does almost a complete 180 by the end of the season to the point that he and Richard are best friends. And Rudy's even telling people, you know, he's queer, but he's good. We got to listen to this guy. He's got a lot of good ideas. Like, it's just that must be mind blowing to see a 72 year old have that kind of a worldview change as the season goes along. Just because, you know, Richard is capable. He's military. He's just a good guy. He knows what he's doing. And Rudy in his head realized this guy's a good guy. I don't care if he's gay. He's just like us. So there's this fascinating story in the first season, and it never gets mentioned enough. It's It was a big deal at the time. It's kind of been forgotten because Rudy, you know, and talk, no one talks about Rudy anymore. But we had this whole storyline of season one where Rudy and Richard become best friends. 
Rudy dispels all his notions that he hates gay people to the point that they're like joking about it. They're buddies in the finale. And Richard's like, Rudy's a great guy. Like, yeah, he's kind of old. He's not saying that in a mean way. That's just how old people talk. Like, he's a good guy. He likes me. And, and it's funny, if you read Mark Burnett's book, he even talks about this, how they had such a fascinating relationship. Like, like there were days on Borneo where Richard would go out and fish and bring back the food and Rudy would cook it up. And like, they almost had like a couple relationship. Like, R Richard's the hunter-gatherer going out and getting the food and Rudy's the, the female at home cooking it up for everyone. And it was so cute. And it's just so neat. There's so many neat things about that first season, but the Rudy and Richard relationship, I think, is so fantastic. And it's one of those things like it's Survivor's so much more than a game. It's just what that did kind of for uh, societal relations. I mean, people watch that show and there'd never been a positive portrayal of a gay person on TV, really. I mean, there'd been some, but like there'd never been just a guy who was just normal. He was gay, but he, he happened to be gay, but he was just a normal guy and everyone got along with him. And like this thing where Rudy... Rudy, of all people, the legend of the Navy SEALs who's openly homophobic, is telling everyone, you know, this gay guy is pretty good. Maybe we should give these gay people one of their – like, it's just – it sounds silly now in 2017 that that's – it sounds so old-fashioned now. But that was a big deal at the time that Rudy, of all people, is kind of endorsing that, you know, gay people are just like us. And it's just – it was a big deal at the time, and it's one of those things I just am so thankful that Survivor history has something like that in it because it's just bigger than the show. It probably also helps with the fact that you met Rudy, right? I met Rudy. I was hey, I would have liked Rudy regardless. This is not just me shilling the fact that I met Rudy. But yeah, I'm, I ran into Rudy on the Santa Monica Pier once, and it was great. And he's like, "Stay away from me. Are you a homo?" No, he didn't say that. He was very nice, but said it's just one of those things that Rudy, again, just to reiterate, was the biggest star of that first season to the point they were actively talking about making new reality shows just so they can throw Rudy on them. Let's put Rudy into space. Let's put Rudy out there. Let's shackle him to a to a polyamorous couple. I don't know what we're going to do, but it's they were actively trying to find Where shows. Where the hell is Dan Barry? Let's send him up in there with uh, with Rudy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, just, I just I hope you guys agree with that that Rudy sentiment because he's one of those guys you never get here, you never hear talked about anymore, and I think he was so amazing for the show. No, I'm, I'm so happy that I think it was a couple years ago or maybe last year he got inducted into the Survivor Hall of Fame just because – yeah, I mean, it needs to be acknowledged the fact that he was a huge fan favorite when he came out. I mean, forget the book. He had his own action figure, which is crazy. <laughs> a reality TV star had an action figure before every reality TV star was trying to whore themselves out to get anything, you know, with their name all over it. It's it's absolutely insane. And yes, some of this stuff might not necessarily play nowadays. I think his appearance at the Survivor Karamoan reunion is a good example of that, but at the time, and taking Borneo in a vacuum, oh, he's just such a good character. Yeah, and that Caramoan thing, we'll talk about this when we get there, but that's, for, for those of you who don't know, Rudy has Alzheimer's, he has dementia and, and memory issues, and they took that guy, you know, 10 years after he was on the show, he's got dementia, he's got other issues, they throw him on live TV, they start prompting him into trying to say his catchphrase, so that's just cruel, like... I just have a, a problem with the way they did that. But I always think that people should remember Rudy for the way he was in Borneo because that guy was 100% as authentic and real as it comes. All right, Mr. Bloom, number four. Number four. This is something that's been a bit of an advent in recent years, but I'm really grateful for it for a listener perspective as well. I'm very grateful for the recent surge of streaming services that are now offering back catalogs of Survivor Seasons. One of the things that I've been so grateful for this Restorians for doing from both a listener perspective and a participant perspective is we always push out this mentality of rewatch seasons. 
They might get better on a rewatch. They might get worse on a rewatch. But I love rewatching seasons because it takes your mind out of the context that it was in previously. You're not watching it week to week. Uh, you're, you're allowing to sort of gestate over whatever hour process that you watch it. But you're also, again, as we mentioned before, catching these little Easter eggs or maybe foreshadow moments that you didn't realize beforehand once you see everything is out there. You get a better appreciation for the winner storyline as well to see sort of where they came from and where they ended up. Uh, so, you know, I know, uh, Amazon prime and Hulu, like they've been off, they had offered like seasons 12 through 20 something for a few years, but I especially feel like with CBS all access offering the back catalog of survivor seasons and they're not completely full, you know, I believe they, uh, they edited out like Wanda singing. I think they, I still don't know if T-Bird singing tomorrow in the merge challenge in survivor Africa is still there for copyright reasons, but I, I feel like. We can only talk so much about these seasons and how they were perceived at the time and things we, we caught on our rewatch. I'm grateful for the opportunity for people to actually check that out themselves, for them to say, yeah, I'll rewatch a season and then I'll listen to the historian's version of it. I think it's cool for people to experience that along with us, the benefits of a rewatch. All right, Paul? All right. This is my uh, my second chance to go a little bit deeper with things. But one of the things I'm really thankful for um, Survivor is that it has been on now for nearly two thirds of my life, starting as a 10, 10 year old and now like slowly approaching 30. And the one thing that I've always loved about Survivor is that it's always been a constant for me. You can point to any season of the show and I can tell you right away what stage I was at in my life. I can tell you whether that was what grade I was in high school, whether that was what um, year I was in college, in my, my post-college years, what experience I was, where I was living. Um, so for me, like no matter where I am, I can pinpoint to where Survivor was. It's something that I've always kept up with and never missed an episode of. Uh, I remember living abroad and like it wasn't as easy to stream things back then, but like iTunes was like a, th- a thing that you could buy, you know, shows on that was like pretty popular then. So I would subscribe to it on iTunes and buy the season ahead of time. And I would like have to try to stay away from spoilers and have it download for me. So when I would get up in the morning, I could, could watch the show. So I'm really thankful that, you know, um, over all these years, I, I can always look back to where I was in my life based on the show I was watching and how for me, it's been an experience that I've always watched with my family. Um, it's something that now that it's a very huge part of, it's a huge show that I watched with my wife and with her sister and it just really is it's it's been a constant in my life from you know from the very early ages and it looks different now and it feels different now and there's way more important things that are in my life now than you know than when i was like a fifth and sixth grader but still i i just i'm really thankful for that constant presence that survivors had in my my life yeah just to reiterate on that i'm i mean it hasn't been on for two-thirds of my life i'm a little older than paul but the fact that in the early days of the show in particular and maybe it's even for the modern viewers it's the modern episodes as well but you can mark certain parts of your life where you were when an episode aired or when something happened and i i'm definitely like that through the first nine ten seasons like i remember where i was when chris won i remember where i was when you know ian quit at the end to save tom i remember where i was when richard stepped up the pole it's i remember visually and just in my memory where i was at certain points in my life so just it's a really cool thing to have grown up with the show it's a lot of times if, if I'm like, if I had to figure out what year Survivor season was airing, it's like a two-step process of I'm like, okay, Heroes versus Villains. Okay, that was my sophomore year of college, and that was in the spring of it, so that aired in 2010 or whatever. You know, like that's I uh, that's how I like process dates is, is very Survivor-based. And actually still to this day, um, my wife makes fun of me a lot for this. If I have to remember multi 
like that, that was the how he had I'm not going to repeat this on uh, the air but how when I finally had to memorize my social security number <laughs> I like it was like so hard for me to actually memorize it that I memorized it with certain survivors like it was easier for me to remember like three survivors in the lineup and this is not my social security number so don't try to steal my identity but if i was like okay i remember gandia sonia blah 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 i think well gandia is, is you know season five four when i was five four sonia's one one and like that's how you know for a long time i would compute numbers is, is with survivors so um i know i'm not like everyone but it <laughs> You just like fishbacked that so your social security number by, by trying breaking. to cut up the way to memorize it. Yeah, right. It was easier for me to picture like a, a random group of survivors interacting with each other in a certain order than it was just to memorize the digits. So, yeah, Paul's hardcore. That's hardcore survivor right there. All right, Mister Fisher. Um, piggybacking a little bit on this, um, I am thankful that Survivor is probably perhaps the last weekly show that i watch on a consistent basis and it's been so uh it hasn't been two-thirds of my life like paul it's been about half my life but you know back in the day before streaming before dvr before a lot of things you know you sort of had to watch tv the old-fashioned way you had to wait for the episode to come up every week right and you know there were a lot of shows that you know we used to do tgif way back in the day and, you know, uh, most of the people would, would watch the, the weekly Seinfeld episode or the weekly Friends episode. You, know, you, you had things that you watched. And, and, you know, there were the advent of VCRs. So if you couldn't be there, you know, you, you could record something like on VHS and then go back and watch it. And that's sort of the extent that you could do so. But, you know, back in the day, back, back when Survivor started, for the most part, you still did that. You waited every week for your show or shows, you know, and you always had a lineup, right? You were always... You know, you had you had sports maybe in the evening that you were doing like soccer practice or something like that. Uh, or if you were in college, you may have had study sessions or night classes or, or, or whatever. But, you know, no matter what you were, if you were a kid, uh, a college student or, or an adult, you had sort of a TV schedule every week. And that's something that's sort of foreign to a lot of people growing up now in the sense that like you were like, well, Monday there's this this show is on and then you know I don't have anything Tuesday and then Wednesday I've got three shows and and Thursday I've got four and you sort of had this like TV lineup that you either had to stay home and watch or you had to make the conscious decision to not watch it that week and maybe catch up with it somehow or throw a tape in and tape it and then watch it at a slightly later date but you had to be constant to the schedule and Survivor was one of those shows where, like, it was a can't-miss appointment. It was, you know, every once in a while I would tape it and watch it literally, like, a few hours later. Like, I wouldn't even watch it the next day. If if, if I couldn't get a watch a Survivor episode and I had to tape it, I literally watched the tape the second I came home uh, so that I could watch it basically the same day that it came out. I never missed a Survivor episode uh, it was on every Wednesday or Thursday or whenever they put Survivor on because, you know, it fluctuated from time to time. But... It was can't miss programming for me. And when we moved into this era where we're no longer beholden to the television schedule and you could, you know, DVR things and, uh, you know, things come out now on streaming like I don't I don't watch television anymore. I used to watch a lot of sports. I watch very few sports these days um, and I watch a ton of television. But all the television I watch is on Netflix or on Hulu or on uh, some sort of streaming device. So there's very few shows. I think Game of Thrones on HBO is really one of the only other ones where, like, I just you got to watch it every week. 
but but other than that, I would say that Survivor was one of the first can't miss weekly shows that I had to watch, and I cut cable for almost everything because I wasn't watching very much television, and I had to keep my basic networks ch- channels so that I could keep CBS so that I could watch Survivor. It is literally the reason why I still had TV in the house and still have TV in my house is that I need to watch Survivor. So it is one of the first and last weekly must programs that I must watch. And add on top of that, I feel like also social media helps with that as well. Because I, I do feel like there definitely are some people that are like, yeah, I'll watch it the next day. But I feel like there's still the sort of kinetic element of, you know, even if you're not in love with what's going on on your screen, now you have this idea of there are other people sort of virtually watching the show along with you. And so I know that's one reason why a lot of people still watch the show live is because you sort of get to send your own funny reactions and then get other people's funny reactions to what's going on as well. It's sort of like one big communal living room to watch, as Jay said, even after 17 years at this point, still appointment television. Yeah. All right, moving on. Um, have we talked about Coach enough? I feel like we haven't talked about Coach. I will I'm hitting you. To, yeah, I'll, I'll just stipulate to the 15 hours we talked about Coach in the past few months. <laughs> yeah, muting Mike, be back in an hour. <laughs> you guys are being very rude to the guy we're about to have on for an interview. I'm just pointing that out right now. All right, so I'm going to mention... I plan on hitting mute in that interview, by the way, as well. So just keep going. <laughs> All right. I feel that there was a character in Token Sheens who was rather important to Survivor history and was a game changer in the sense that he changed the way that the editors started portraying people on the show. And you may not remember him. He was kind of an under-the-radar guy. He didn't get a lot of airtime. His name was Benjamin Coach Wade. And I have to say, I mean, there's many things. I could sit here, and I already have, and talk for hours about Coach. But for my personal history as a Survivor writer, I mean, people I'm not sure how know this, but... I was writing about the season almost from the start. I used to write strategy columns. I would just write, hey, this is neat. This is why a player does this. This is how it's important or just stuff like that. And I was one of the first people really doing that on the Internet. And by about the eighth season, I'm like, I'm kind of bored of this. This isn't I'm not, I mean, I've really kind of said everything there is to say about Survivor. There's like there's no new strategy. It's just the same thing over and over. So I kind of retired as a Survivor writer. And just as my one last hurrah in Guatemala, I decided, okay, I'll do one more thing that would be fun to do. I'll just do a little collection of the funniest Survivor moments. Because there were some lots of cute little moments over the years that maybe people would like to have collected in one place and reminisce about. So I just wrote this little quickie thing called the Funny 115. It was in my MySpace blog. It wasn't even a website. It was just a little blog entry. And like, hey, remember Clarence and the Cherries? That was funny. Remember when T-Bird did this? That was funny. Remember Judge just being hypocritical? That was funny. So I did this thing, and it became a little minor hit. It wasn't a huge thing. It was, it was a, a little cute little website that people liked. And then I didn't really write about Survivor for a while. I kind of took a couple years off. And then in season 18, we had this guy named Coach. And again, I'll be the first one to say I never rooted for Coach during his season. I wasn't like a huge fan of his. I was just kind of curious why this guy was getting so much airtime to the point that they were given, they gave him his own theme song. They would open episodes of him praying with big music. He had his own whole downfall episode. Like the entire season revolved around the editors just making fun of this guy, like openly and blatantly to the the extent that no one had ever done that before. No player had ever, ever been given that treatment. Like the editors just... Every single time Coach is on screen, you can see the editor is just gleefully lighting up. All right, we get to do Coach scenes. And it just opened my eyes as a Survivor writer that 
I'd never seen something like this on Survivor before. Just, this, it was kind of a, it changed the way they portrayed the the season, where a player could be that much bigger than the show, larger than life, but not in like a good way, where you're supposed to celebrate him, like get a load of this guy, let's make fun of this guy. Oh, and also Survivor's happening, but let's do coach scenes. Like it just opened my eyes to the way that you could write about and portray Survivor to the point that the second Funny 115, which is the one that I really became famous for, is all due due to Coach. He really, him coming around was like, oh my God, how could I not write about this? What the editors were doing with this guy, just what this guy was like. Just, I can't believe that a guy like this was on a show like this. Because again, you go back, there was no equivalent to Coach Relief where that ace is the only thing that's really close. And he was only in a couple episodes and it was much minor version. So this, the introduction of Coach and what they did with Coach just changed the way that I wrote about Survivor. And it just all of a sudden took my readership and the way I write about the show into the stratosphere. The second one, Funny 115, is the one that took off. That one got, I mean, it's got a million five readers at this point still. To the point that even now in version three, all I have to do is mention Coach in it somewhere, do a Coach joke. And I know it's going to get 20,000 more readers than it would have got before. It's insane what kind of a bump I get. I can see on a readership anytime Coach is in an entry. So it just completely changed the way I wrote about the show. It completely changed the way the show was presented. I mean, it, we talked about it in our Token Chains podcast that coach the cinematography in some of those coach scenes is unparalleled. Like it's almost like a movie. This the 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 cinematics, the background, like they're it's they put so much work into just having coach as a character because they loved him so much that it really just inspired me to keep going as a survivor writer and start writing about the show in new ways. And again. If there hadn't been a coach, I never would have taken off as a funny 115 writer. There probably would be no historians. Like it's it's really all because of coach. To me, he was the game changer in that. Yeah, maybe it wasn't good a good idea making someone so much bigger than the season that one person's the focus over the game. But man, was that different from what had ever been seen on Survivor before. And for me, it was perfect. I can fully admit if other people like Jay, perhaps and and Paul and Mike may not appreciate as much as me, but man, was that a game changer for what I try to do writing about the show. And you can all unmute now. It's fine. Oh, God, thank, thank God. God. <laughs> strategy, strategy, blindside strategy. You guys are you'd be more interested now. Did, did you make big moves while we were gone? I made the biggest move. Oh, man. That was going to be a poop joke. I didn't know where to go with it. But okay, anyway. I already, I already made a Bruce reference. It was right there, Mario. Come on. That was a layup. <laughs> I couldn't get it out. It was straining. All right. So we've all done four. We have one more. Let's finish up strong on our Thanksgiving episode. Uh, Mike, what is the fifth and ultimate thing you are most thankful for as a Survivor fan? This is a tough one because I I do not want to be that person as we're going down the the 20 people in line, metaphorically speaking, that takes the I'm thankful for this podcast thing because I I feel like that's going to be brought up later down the line but suffice it to say maybe it's like an addendum as a bonus number six uh i mean i quite obviously quite literally would not be the place where i am today uh both in a personal perspective and in a content creator perspective which i never thought i'd be able to do uh three years ago without this podcast but suffice it to say i'm going to come back to for my number five for my ultimate one uh what brings me back to survivor season after season after 17 years and it's about the people but quite honestly it's about what i'll call survivor odd couples i love this idea of 16 to 20 people from different walks of life 
coming together to build this society and summarily vote each other out. And uh, I guess this is sort of like a bookend to the very first thing I talked about in terms of the emotional grasp of the game, but there's just something so fun, even after all these years, of people that would never meet in real life, let alone get along, coming together and either working together or becoming sworn enemies. But, I mean, I'll list some off here. You guys can totally throw in submissions if you have as well. I know Rich and Rudy was mentioned before, but we have... You know, Frank and Brandon, the very conservative, uh, never broken the honor of a handshake versus the flamboyant gay guy. Boston Robin Sean, the Massachusetts construction worker and the Harlem school teacher. Rob Cesarino and Matt Von Erfelda. Even like Scout and Twyla, the aforementioned Scout, the like uh, highway, redneck highway worker and the free spirit pansexual Native American woman. Uh, <laughs> anything with the Kasai tribe. Uh, I love, like, Todd and James in Survivor China. Even, you know, we just talked about Steven and JT. Even flashing forward to Modern Survivor a bit, Ko Rong had some really fun pairs from an optics perspective between Caleb and Ty early on, especially Aubrey and Sydney near the end of the game. Even the next season in Millennials vs. Gen X, I know that Brett and Zeke uh, didn't necessarily work together all the time in their course in the game, but that reward scene where Brett essentially outs himself to Zeke was so poignant because it just really showed how these two guys from completely different backgrounds came together over this shared experience almost. It's just moments like this that make me really appreciate, as weird as it is to say, sort of our society, sort of like what Paul was mentioning before about what the show did for him in terms of opening up his mind. I don't know, it sort of made me, because Survivor was sort of a formative experience of my years as well, it just sort of made me look upon the world with a sense of optimism, as weird as it is to say that, oh, if these people who would probably not give each other a second glance if they were walking by each other on the street in real life, come together, work together, form bonds, whether good or bad, from it. I don't know. That, that, that says something about who we are as a human race, from my perspective. And it's something that has still, to this day, even though, as Paul said, the show might have changed here and there, that is what is fundamental to the game of Survivor for me, and that is what has kept me coming back to this show every episode for fourteen for seventeen years at this point. It makes me just somewhere such more infinitely happier that I get so many opportunities to be able to talk about the show and those relationships and ultimately those people as well. There's two I wanted to throw in there. The Pascal and Sean when they go on the Marques and Barbecue, maybe my all time favorite reward scene. And then the uh Yao Man and Dreams. Like, think mm. of how many different times in the world a Yao Man and a Dreams would interact. <laughs> All right, excellent sentiments. Thank you very much for your five items, Mike. Uh, Paul, what do you have? What what inspiring and wise thing can you wrap up the uh, Thanksgiving podcast with? Well, I'd first like to add uh, Mike Bloom and myself to that list of odd partners that somehow coexist. Yeah. <laughs> And... Who, would, who would ever thought the the kid from Montana and the Nebuchadnezzar Jew from New York would get along? It's like a, it's like a pseudo Stephen and JT relationship, except it's like a northern JT. <laughs> so Paul's JT. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, Paul's JT. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Totes. Uh, my number five, of course, as Mario alluded to, I'm going to go very deep on this. I thought a lot about this, and I just you know need to look deep within myself to make sure this comes across as like. The number one thing I'm most thankful for, what has Survivor provided me over all these years? It's been a staple in my life. It's been a constant. What is the most 
important thing I'm thankful for. And this is it. I am so thankful to you, Survivor, that Gene was a pre-merge boot slash one-time player. No. That I never, ever, ever had to see her again on my television and never, ever will. And for that, I'm thankful, Survivor, that you acknowledged the mistake you made, that you got rid of her as quickly as possible, and that you never, ever, ever bring her back again. Thank you. Well, Paul, do you have an opinion on Jean? No, not at all. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, whatever. Take her or leave her. You know, Paul, right. I, I say this in the spirit of Thanksgiving, but I will fucking cut you, you bastard. <laughs> Whoa. This is how Thanksgiving ends. This is finally turning into a typical Thanksgiving dinner. It only took us an hour for the claws to really come out, but I think uh, tension has finally broken here. So much for that no swearing thing. You know, that was that was nice. I don't know. That's I can't handle Paul anymore. Paul's bullshit. This is the worst Thanksgiving, Paul. Well, you know, you brought up Gene in a positive light earlier on, so uh, you brought this on yourself. Would JT do that? Is this what the Montana JT would do? I don't think so. Yeah, this is such a JT move. <laughs> now, you all, now you all love me and give me your money and stuff because you want me to be happy and rich. <laughs> give me your leftovers. I, I still get my fifth one, right? I guess. Okay, let me. I'm googling Paul, the name of Paul's mom, real quick. Hang on. <laughs> oh, that sounds weird on so many levels. <laughs> oh, it'll get worse. I'll make it weird. Just ask for Paul's like, what's Paul's mnemonic survivor-based device that he uses to remember his mother's name? I'm sure he can give yeah, that exactly. to you. <laughs> what's your pin number? What's your pin number in Survivor mnemonics? Uh huh. Yeah. All right. Fine. Paul gets his dig at Gene in. I get one last lick though. Just remember that, son. All right, Jay. Sorry, you have to get in the middle, and I know you're the child in the middle here when the parents are fighting. Yeah, but, you know, the child in the middle when the parents are fighting, but this is one where, like, the parents are fighting, the child's like, ah, they're fighting over stupid crap again. (laughs) I'm going to go play Game Boy. Um, My number one, and this is, I mean, as Mike said, someone's got to say it, I'm going to say it. My number one thing I'm thankful for is the fact that uh, Survivor has existed, and it has brought us all together to do this podcast. Um, Survivor historians, I mean, look, I'm not a podcast super megastar like Mike Bloom over here, you know, where we've turned this into blah, blah, blah. Literally, I do Survivor historians. And uh, that from that, you know, I, I, I had a stint on the Tribe of Survivor podcast, and I've been a guest on a bunch of other podcasts, uh, Rob's podcast, uh, Dom and Colin, you know, all these other uh, sort of podcasts. But all of that is sort of the point. In the sense that, you know, uh, I got to know Mario quite a bit. And from that, you know, uh, he brought me into various Facebook groups. And that's all well and good. But I think that more than anything else, being on Survivor Historians has opened up sort of a a pathway, at least in the way that I want it to be, uh, to uh, an online community of people that, that I choose to interact with that has impacted my life in a positive manner. Um... And yeah, every once in a while I get fun emails where they're like, Jay sucks. And hey, thumbs up to that too, because you know what? Having an opinion is a good thing. Uh, and, and it doesn't really matter because all that means to me is that people are listening to the show and they're having a reaction from it. Um, I'm so thankful for this podcast 
for the fact that I get to talk to the three of you guys on a weirdly consistently inconsistent basis uh, about Survivor. It, it, this is some of the funnest times uh, I can ever think of is, is getting to sit down with you guys in this three, four hour block and talk about Survivor. Um, and then it's it's allowed me to talk to other people, whether in the podcast form or not uh, online uh, about Survivor. It's all been super great. And and, you know, I wouldn't say that Survivor Historians was kind of the first online thing that I did with Survivor, but it's really the one thing that has been the bridge or the gateway to almost everything else. And uh, thank you to you guys. Thank you to everyone who listens to this show. Um, I know that I come uh, across as, you know, a super crotchety old man. Uh, and I'm none of those things. I'm I'm sort of those things. But but really what it is, is it's just this is so fun to do. And uh, I love doing it. And, you know, it's so sad that Survivor is now, you know, we've we've covered almost all of the, you know, early and middle ish and getting into modernish seasons. I mean, we're going to keep going as long as, you know, Mario commands us to go. But, uh, you know, the ride that we've gone on has been unbelievably great. And mm -hmm. thank you to everyone for allowing me to go on this adventure because it is quite literally, you know, survivor has been such a big part of my life as, as everyone has talked about. And as I talked about in my previous point, but this podcast has really sort of made it something unbelievably special. So that's what I'm thankful for. Mario, that's how you end your five points. Something nice and heartfelt <laughs> like that. Yeah. I really shouldn't uh, do finish. Follow that with jokes about Paul's mom. That wouldn't be really good now. Thanks Jay. You changed the whole strategy. Yeah, but, but yes. But, no. the, but the thing is, is that I'm thankful for this podcast, and part of this podcast is Mario making inappropriately dumb jokes about inappropriate crap. So the fact that if you're going to end with Paul's mom, it's kind of apropos when when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, Good and point. I've I, and I've also mentioned this a bunch of times before, but just sort of piggyback off of that. I don't know. It's it sounds super cheesy, especially talking to you guys, but it still is so sublimely surreal for me as someone who had listened to you guys from the beginning. The thought of of getting to do this and become such good friends with all of you, yes, I'm breaking the fourth wall, including Paul. Paul and I are very good friends. Don't believe the hype or the hate. Uh, it, it's something that I never would have dreamed of. I never would have dreamed of being able to talk about Survivor in the first place, especially with three guys that I do really respect their opinions on. So, Mike, you're basically like that Filipino kid who joined Journey and replaced Steve Perry. I have no idea what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> One I, person I, might get that. I guess I want to Now you know up. how I feel, Mike. That's literally every reference you guys make. <laughs> yes, we're not so different, you and I, JT, Paul. <laughs> Are you guys going to sing a song? Steven? <laughs> I, 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 I want to mention two things really, really quickly before I yield the floor to Mario and we end this podcast. Um, number one, I really also enjoy, and I think it's very in the Survivor Historian's vein, that you know I sort of took the what am I thankful for for Survivor and made it about our podcast. That's super selfish, and I think that that's appropriate. Um, and, the, and, the, and the second thing is that uh, when I said that you know uh, I've not become some sort of like Mike Bloom podcast multimedia blah blah, blah I don't want those things. That's that's not uh, I, that's not a complaint. Uh, the the exposure and the the interactions that I have with the people that I have online in the Survivor community are exactly what I want them to be. I am super happy with everything that goes on, um, including the lack of emails. So thanks, guys. I don't know if I should be insulted by that, but none taken? <laughs> Is that just covering my bases? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, I, how dare you become really awesome at this, Mike? Jeez. 
No, Pashaw. You're too kind. Pashaw. Get a room, you two. Jesus. Yes, this is a. If, if you if you and Paul are the relatives arguing at each other, I guess Jay and I are the people making goo goo eyes at each other across the table while Jay is, uh, I don't know, looking over the spread and making a sandwich in his head of what he's going to build tomorrow. That is my foot under the table, Mike. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, I, I actually could be all heartfelt and, and repeat what Jay just said that it's really cool working with you guys, but I will not because it's already been said. Um, but my my fifth one is something actually along those lines is that, you know, there's like any fan base of a TV show or a movie or something. There's a lot of chaff out there, like just it's like any fan base forever is not much different. But if you look for the wheat among the chaff, there's some really cool, really intelligent, smart, funny, very insightful people in the Survivor fan base, more so than just about any other fan base I've ever known over the years. And I've, again, I've been a part of this fan base almost since day one. And even on the internet back in the day on Survivor Sucks, like, people would make me laugh harder than I've ever laughed before, just making little memes about the show, little references. And, like, right from the start, again, it's it's not everyone on Survivor is, like, an amazing, like, not every fan is, like, an amazing participant in the, in the fan culture, but, like, there have been so many standout members of the internet community over the years I have known and inter- interacted with to the point that it made me funnier. Like I, I really didn't fancy myself as much as a comedy writer. I couldn't do Photoshop. I didn't do memes. I didn't really even understand what a meme was, but like just from watching the way people talk about the show on the internet, it has made me so much funnier, better writing, better communicator just in general, just because there's so many smart, bright, fun people that have been associated with the show over the years. So I just want to give thanks to the entire Survivor Internet community. Again, I've been in fights with people before, just like anyone else has. I've There's people that annoy me. I'm sure I annoy other people. But there's some amazing people in this community, and there have been. Like some were there in the early days. They dropped out. Some later ones showed up. Some ones showed up now or current ones. Just the fan base of Survivor just attracts some really interesting, important cool smart funny nice people and i've always appreciated that about them and it's, it's one of those things you can't really give credit for everyone i couldn't name everyone because i leave people out but it's just it's been such an honor that i could just be such a sm- even just a small part of the survivor online community over the years because i'm so honored to be a part of it and again i've been a part of saturday night live online fans mystery science theater seinfeld fans all sorts of stuff and nothing over the years has ever come close to the highs of the survivor fan they're really cool stuff that comes out of the survivor community is cooler than anything I've ever seen with any other TV show. And so I just want to give thanks that I could be a part of it. And I was able to learn from people and just, uh, that I have been associated with it at all. It's just been really cool over the years to the point that, you know, I do so many survivor projects now, and it's really only because over the years I've been so inspired what other people have done. They made me laugh. Oh, I thought that's interesting. Oh, he makes a good point. Oh, that's a really neat post. I really like that. Follow the star. That was so cool. This guy lays out like, just stuff like that. So I just want to give thanks to everyone out there who has blazed the trail and laid the path for really all of us to be a part of the survivor community and, you know, do what we do and give what we can to the fan base. And they in turn give stuff back to us. They like our show. Then we keep putting out shows that they like. So again, it's just a cyclical thing. And I just always wanted to say that I've been uh, so honored and uh, humbled to be a part of this whole fan community. It's just a, a neat thing. And Again, someday Survivor will go off the air. I don't know when that will be. It might be in six months. It might be in 20 years. Who knows? But 
again, just to be a part of something like that that means so much to people and people put so much of their blood, sweat and tears in, put they put effort in. They really want to make something out of it. They mean the Survivor fan base. The online experience has been a whole thing aside from the show. I mean, it's a whole separate from the show. It's a whole different world. So, and it's again, it just it reminds me very much. I, I when I there's movies that I love, I always plug them. There's a movie that came out in 2017 called Brigsby Bear, where this guy is totally attached to the mythology of a show and that he loves it with all his heart, and it means so much to him. And that's, I think, any online Survivor fan would get a kick out of that movie because it really. It, it speaks to what their world has been. This world has really spoken to them. It means something to them. It's filled an important part of their life, an important niche in a lot of different aspects of their life over the years. So I just want to say, probably from all of us, I'm sure I'm speaking for all four of us, that we are just happy we've been a part of it over the years, and we hope to continue to be a part of it. Now, when you said that talking with funny people makes you funnier, was that your reference to Iron Sharpens Iron? Did I pick that out? That is a very close reference to it. That Coach was not that far off. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it quite so homoerotically as Coach says when he says the Iron Sharpen Iron. But yeah, when you hang around people who are outstanding in some way, when you when you are able to just watch how they carry themselves and how they, you know, just carry them their manner in a, in a daily basis, it makes you better. At, you learn from them. So yeah, there is absolutely some truth to Iron Sharpening Iron, and it's again, it's why I specifically pick certain people for historians. Why I specifically hang out with certain people in certain groups, like. I find myself inspired when I hang around people who are better at things than I am. So you always want to raise your game to the level of the people you're around. So that's one of the, the proponents who always hang around outstanding people because you will you'll become more outstanding in your own regard. And it's too bad we only got five things because my number six thing would have been Heidi's breasts. So, Oh, not Paul's mother? No, Paul's mother was not going to be in the top ten. I'm sorry, Paul. Mm, okay. But yeah, so I hopefully we all got to say some nice things, some fun things, but also some deep, meaningful things on this uh, one of the most important holidays in America, Thanksgiving. You guys have anything else to add before we sign off and let people go uh, fall into their, what is it, tryptophan? Is that what it's called? The chemical, the turkey chemical, and they all pass out? Tryptophan, yeah. Tryptophan. I'm excited for uh, when March comes around and we do like our top five uh, best Survivor resurrections in honor of Easter before we finally get to Survivor <laughs> Samoa. Yeah. dibs on Russell Swan. <laughs> All right. So I think that's it. So uh, anything else to go before we uh, sign off on this uh, Thursday here? What the hell am I doing here? <laughs> we forced you on to say some nice things. You can go do whatever you have to do. Fine. You curmudgeonly old fool. Yeah. That sounds on point. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good, well, good all thing it's... Good, it's a good thing we're ending on brand is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Okay, for uh, from those of, from here, those of us here at Survivor Historians, we want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of our little world and what little joy we can add to people's lives, commutes, travels, uh, mowing the lawn, whatever. I know people listen to historians for many reasons, and we are glad you do. So, as always, have a wonderful day with your family and friends. And if you are Canadian, happy Thursday. Talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. I mean, what else would it be? Are you happy me or her? No, you, Mom. Hey, you could see myself going home getting some mashed potatoes and gravy. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? I said I could easily see myself getting some mashed potatoes and gravy. You hear that? Listen, can you hear that gobbling? Sounds like a turkey. You hear it? <laughs>